1981, uh, Dan Fogelberg released a, a hit. Uh, it was a song that was a tribute to his father, Lawrence. And the name of the song was Leader of the Band. It reached uh, number nine on the Hot 100. And it reached number one on the adult contemporary list. And so what I'd like to do today, I just wanted to read the chorus that he wrote as a tribute to his father, Lawrence. And many of you might even know the words. The leader of the band is tired and his eyes are growing old. But his blood runs through my instrument and his song is in my soul. My life has been a poor attempt to imitate the man. I'm just a living legacy to the leader of the band. And a little bit of trivia for those of you who know the song. The, uh, the, the part that when you hear the orchestra play, that was actually composed by his father, Lawrence. So, great song. Uh, why are we talking about this? Today's message is called All in the Family. We've been going through a series on props. And uh, today, uh, we'll be talking about family. And we'll be looking at a variety of verses. So, our three points today are going to be children, spouses, and friends. And so if you have a Bible, you can be turning to uh, Proverbs chapter 1. And like I said, we're going to be bouncing around uh, in the book of Proverbs. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can just follow along. We'll have the, uh, the, the verses up here where you can read them on, on screen. Uh, again, our message today is called All in the Family. Our three points are children, spouses, and friends. So let's pray together and let's see what God has for us. Dear Lord, uh, I thank you for this morning. This morning. I thank you, God. Uh, you're the perfect father. And you know everything there is to know about family. <sighs> Dear Lord, uh, I pray we would learn from you today. Lord, I pray that you would clear our minds of any distractions. And Lord, I pray it would be you uh, that would be speaking, Lord, and your word that would speak to the hearts of everyone in this room and anyone who happens to be listening online. God, speak to us. And teach us about family today. Lord, change us. Make us more like you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Okay, so our first point is children. One of the greatest responsibilities in life is raising children. I think everybody knows that. And even if your kids are grown, there's still an opportunity that exists as long as they're willing to uh, just further them uh, in their spiritual walk. But even if you don't have children... Uh, this section that we're about to speak on today about children, it's actually for everybody because you never know when God might give you an opportunity to shape the next generation. You never know who's watching you. God has something to say to kids, to parents, and to our Trinity Church family. So we begin in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. And this is actually the very first verse when we began our series about eight weeks ago. It's the first one that we covered. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So again, this is where we started our series. And I want to hammer home. The reason why I'm starting with this verse um, is because I want to hammer home the uh, just foundational thought that the fear of the Lord, what does that phrase mean? Why is it so important? Why does God say that it's the beginning of knowledge or wisdom? Well, the fear of the Lord is actually uh, an, an idiom for the idea of following God, trusting God, following his ways. Uh, it can include fear, uh, you know, because sometimes there's consequences when we don't listen to him. 
but it also includes love and trust. And the thing is this, if you miss this idea, you miss the whole thing. And I don't just mean you miss my sermon, okay? I'm talking about you miss not just the book of Proverbs or the whole Bible, but you miss, I mean, the whole meaning of life. Because where it begins, God says, is with the fear of the Lord. That's what drives us to desire to listen to him and to want a relationship with him to begin with. And then life goes on from there as we continue to listen to him and grow in him. A lack of fear and respect for the Lord has directly led to America's worst issues. Uh, because as a nation, I mean, it's plain to see as a nation. I'm not saying that no one in America seeks God. Right. But as a nation, we've turned our back on him. We can see it's directly affected men's faithfulness to their wives, which in turn creates an issue where women feel abandoned and they instantly become desperate for survival. And that in turn leads to kids who find unhealthy ways to cope. The cycle continually and slowly and gradually moves our nation further and further from the design that God has for us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. Well, now we jump to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20. And it says this, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life and it keeps going. Y'all, it's like God, it's like God is begging, right? He's pleading, please listen, please listen to me, please trust me, trust my ways, trust my words, they are true. We see in verse 20, it said this, it said, my son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. So it spells out the job for parents, right? Fathers give commands, mothers teach. Now, I want to give a word uh, right now to parents who feel like they've failed at this job. Because I have this conversation often with different dads, different moms. A lot of times their kids are grown and they're in a rebel stage or a prodigal stage. And I talk to so many parents who feel like they failed as a parent. <clears throat> The wrong question to ask. And this is usually the question parents like that are asking. They ask themselves, what could I have done differently? And I say that's the wrong question because we can't change the past. And so really, if you're asking yourself that question and you beat yourself down with that, I mean, it, it's a cruel form of self-torture. I think a better question to ask is this. Did I seek God? Did I pray? If you're in that spot, ask yourself that question. Because I'll bet you'll remember times when, yeah, you did pray. You prayed earnestly, right? You sought God. And uh, and the other question is, did I lead by example? And if you think back, I'll bet you did. Now, again, if there's some guilt involved, then you probably feel like, yeah, but I wasn't perfect. I did this, this. And we're back to that self-torture and i really think it's a better question to ask did i seek god did i lead by example did i attempt to lead by example because if you did then you did your job now 
The question is this. How did the child respond? Because further inspection of this verse that we're looking at, uh, it reveals that part of the responsibility for the child, once he's older, to walk with God, part of that responsibility is on the child. He or she has to decide. You cannot decide that. You as a parent cannot choose, make that choice for your for your son or daughter. At some point, they have to choose to respond to God or not. Right? Remember how the verse started? My son, keep your father's commandments. My son, forget, forsake not the teachings of your mother. You hear that? The emphasis is on the son or daughter to listen to what the parents have taught. And what they were attempting to teach was the word of God. The child has a responsibility to listen to the father, listen to the mom, to respond to God. Again, I want to say this again. Parents cannot choose or make that choice for their sons or daughters. Parents, you are not big enough to carry anybody's soul. Ultimately, that, that, that final decision is between them and God. Just like no one forced you to turn to God, right? You can't, you can't blame where you are on your parents. You know, there was a point when you made a decision to, to follow God or not. Okay, we go on. It leads into a similar thought in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. And it says this, and this is a verse that's probably familiar to a lot of people in here. Train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old. He will not depart from it. So there's that phrase there. Train up a child in the way he should go. Notice, not the way he would go, right? Because a child left to him or herself is going to seek their own way. Okay? So there's an assumption here that we're teaching them God's ways. But that other part of the verse where it says he will not depart. Some teach this verse as a guarantee. And I'm saying just from my observation... Uh, and Marcus and I, in fact, have had uh, uh, several conversations over this verse. But what I see is that a lot of Proverbs, they're not guarantees. It's more principles. They're principles of God. And uh, like I said earlier, the parent's responsibility is to live it and to tell it and then to pray and depend on God uh, to answer. But ultimately, that child has to choose if they're going to respond. If they're going to rebel or if they're going to listen to the parents or not. If they're going to turn to God or if they're going to reject him. I want to tell you an alarming statistic. Okay. Because I've been doing student ministry a long time. And many of you might be familiar with with the George Barna Institute. George Barna Research. So George Barna um, uh, just takes statistics of the spiritual health um, in in the country. And just a variety of statistics. I'm going to tell you, I'm not big on statistics. But this one caught my eye a few years ago. And in fact, that this number has been changing over the years. But this is the most recent number I found. Is that these days, when young people graduate from high school. And I'm talking about young people from a Christian home. So I want everybody, everybody paying attention. These days, when young people graduate... From a Christian home. And they graduate from high school. 83% of them. Graduate from God as well. 83%. Okay. I like little numbers. That's five out of six. Five out of six. Young people. Who graduate. From high school. 
and they've been raised in a Christian home, five out of six of them walk away from God and from their faith. That should move us all to be praying for the children's ministry and also our student ministry. It's a sobering statistic. And uh, it's part of the reason I think why I stay motivated to work with young people. Because um, no offense to any of you vintage people, right? <laughs> and I'm in that number. But, you know, if God gets a hold of somebody when they're in their 60s, 70s, beyond, man, that's something to celebrate. But think about it. From that point, you have the rest of your life to live. But if God can get a hold of a young person when he or she is 18 or 15, or 12, or even younger, then he or she has the rest of his or her life to live for Almighty God. Think about the impact, y'all. It makes me pray for the children's ministry and for the, the student ministry as well. Now, while we're on the subject, God speaks to dads. And this verse comes out of Ephesians So if you're quick, you can turn there or or you can just uh, read along. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 has something to say to dads. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, God got my attention years ago um, uh, before I got married. Um, It was a weekend where uh, even though I wasn't married yet, I was interested in raising kids. And so... Um, all in the same weekend, I was reading a book about parenting. I went to a seminar about parenting and I heard uh, an actual radio broadcast. They were talking about uh, parenting and all three hit on the same topic on the top seven or top 10 or top 12 reasons why why young people from Christian homes rebel against God. And here's what I noticed that their lists were different. Like I said, one had top seven, top 10, top 12. They, they included different things, but all three of the lists from the radio, the book, and the seminar, all three of them had the same number one reason. And that caught my attention. The number one reason is unresolved anger or hurt with the dad. I'm not picking on dads today, okay? But like I say, it got my attention. And look, while we're on it, this point right here is not intended to discount the role of mother. I'm not trying to do that. But this verse, what it does, it draws attention to this, that dads are more likely to either frustrate or exasperate or stir up anger in their kids. Okay. And that's why God doesn't tell mothers this verse. He speaks to dads, right? Um, I want to say this. I loved my dad. I've spoken about him here and there. I loved my dad. But I'm going to tell you, um, by the time I was five years old, I'd already decided I didn't want to be like him. Okay. And I can remember that. Uh, and that's a whole nother story. But my point is, by the time I was five, I already knew I didn't want to follow his example. So dads, if there's a possibility, there's an issue with your kids. Here's my encouragement. Okay. Like I said earlier, you can't make the choice for your child to follow God or not. You can't do that. But you can try to discover if you've created an issue there, something, there's either some hurt or some anger. And this could be to a child that's little, could be a teen, it could be an adult child. And to try to fish that out. And look, it takes humility and it is hard. But I mean, I can remember from the time, just because, like I say, 
God got my attention with that, with that, um, with, with this, uh, truth, you know, uh, before I was even married. And so I had it in mind that if I ever thought I had created some kind of tension with one of my kids, I wanted to see if I could work that out. And look, it takes humility. I don't want to say I'm humble, okay? God humbled me. I don't know how to say it, right? But here's my point. I remember when, when my oldest, when Kristen was four or five years old, and I remember sitting her up in a chair and getting down on my knee so that I could be looking up to her and she didn't feel intimidated. And for her to hear from her dad, Hey, baby, daddy was wrong. I don't even remember what the issue was. But but either way, just trying to get that resolved when she was little. And having these conversations with all my kids when they were little, when they were teens. Um, just to try to resolve those issues, y'all. Uh, it's important, right? And God says it. He says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. He wouldn't say it if he didn't know we were like that or, or, or prone to that. Okay, something that I actually left out of my notes uh, and I didn't think about till late last night. I don't know how I skipped it, but another thing that's important about about children and about having an impact in children. And look, and this is for everybody, um, even if you don't have kids, okay, because you can have an impact in this younger generation. It is so important to laugh. I don't know how I left that out of my notes, but it's so important to laugh. Uh, I think about my relationship with God. You know, and I think about, uh, the way, um, our, our family, like we, we were serious about God and we laughed a lot. And then in the student ministry, that's always been the way I've run the student ministry. We've always been serious about God, but we've tried to find lots of ways and lots of good things to laugh about. And it's the same way in our church family. Oh, we ought to be serious about God, but still take time to laugh. Um, so one thing that's fun is, 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 uh, my, my four older kids, are, uh, are between the ages of 21 and 30. Okay. And I've got two girls, two boys and they're they're So they're adults now. It is so much fun now, uh, for them to retell the stories that I remember when they were little, because now you hear it from a whole different perspective. Okay. So, uh, for example, like one of the things we laugh about all the time is how we used to go to Taco Bell and, uh, you know, and I, I had this goal that I was going to feed our family for under ten dollars, all right. So now this is a while back, okay. But um, so we're talking about me, Connie, and four kids, right? We get to Taco Bell, and I would tell them, uh, you can order two items off the fifty nine seventy nine ninety nine cent menu. I don't know if how many of y'all remember that, okay? I said you can order two items and get a cup of, a cup of water, all right? Not even bottled water, y'all. Cup of ice water, okay? And so that's what we did. And I think I had three. I mean, I'm a lot bigger than them, right? But I had three, and I forget kind of. I don't want to get her in trouble. I don't want to get myself in trouble. So let's say she only had one, okay? But, <laughs> but, um, so <laughs> the kids remember this. They said sometimes they were still hungry, <laughs> and they would look at me, and they would say, Dad, can we please have a third item? And I would say, yes, as soon as you finish your water. <laughs> and I'm telling you, y'all, it worked. I don't know. I don't think that they still have that same menu, but I'm just saying it is possible, or at least it was back then, to feed your family under 10 bucks. Y'all, um, remember how children were attracted to Jesus? Remember that? And how you know, little children want to be around him and the disciples were trying to shoo him away? Think about this for a minute, okay? It doesn't say it specifically in the Bible, but just think about it. When have you ever known any adult that was a stick in the mud that attracted children, right? You ever think about that? If children 
were attracted to Jesus, it's implied there was something fun about him that attracted those little ones. Okay? You gotta find room to laugh. Alright, that brings us to our second point. Okay, spouses. Long time ago, um, when I was in college, I, I went to a, a seminar that Josh McDowell put on, and, he, and it was about love and marriage. And he said this. He said, uh, don't just marry someone you can live with. Marry someone you can't live without. And that stuck with me. It's going to come around later. Okay, but just for now, keep that in mind. Okay, Proverbs 12, verse 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. Okay. That same word crown right there where it says an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. That same word crown is also found in Proverbs 14. I want you to see this verse and think about this. Proverbs 14 verse 24 says the crown of the wise is their wealth. I mean, do you get the picture? She is to be treasured above all other earthly things okay proverbs 31 10 says this an excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels proverbs 18 22 says this he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the lord okay uh there's a uh two-fold idea here that i want to throw out um in order for her to become an excellent wife. I think it's a twofold thing that it depends on. Number one, it depends on her heart for the Lord, right? Again, right? You can't make that choice for her, but it depends on that. But the other thing is this. I think it also depends on how her husband treats her so that she can blossom. When a man loves his wife well, uh, it's easier for her to follow his lead. Same thing applies for kids as well. Proverbs 3, 3 says this. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Well, here he begins to talk about being steadfast and being faithful. Uh, and, uh, and again, we're talking about in the context of, uh, of marriage. Um, I want to remind everybody that, let's see, uh, at the, at the end of June, um, Marcus preached a, a two-week series, two-part series on uh, on sexual purity, and so I just want to remind you that that if you want a lengthier um, message on that topic, you want to go back and look up the sermons from June twentieth and June twenty seventh, and he spent the entire time on both his messages on the on the idea of sexual purity. But for today, I just want to touch on it here because this verse talks about being steadfast. Uh, steadfast love and faithfulness. And so first idea is this. You got to plan ahead long before the temptation is there. If you're going to be steadfast and faithful in this society and these days, you got to plan ahead of time before that temptation comes. Um, there's a statistic. And again, I'm not big on statistics, but statistically, 50% of divorces today, at least one partner admits to having uh, an addiction or problem with pornography. Okay, I'm going to say that again. 50% of divorces today, one of the partners admits to having an addiction or a problem with pornography. 50%, y'all, okay, admits to it, right? Um, That tells me 
that if that happens 50% of the time, and usually it's the male, usually it's the male, it's not always, but usually it's the male that, that admits that he's got this, this secret issue. Um, that tells me that a lot of times in the other, the other half of divorces, there's probably somebody there who's having the same issue, but they don't admit to it. All right. So this is very prevalent in our society, y'all. Got to find a way. Got to find out where your Achilles heels are. So, so just one thought. And again, Mark has spent a lot of time on this, but you got to find the places that you need to avoid, whether it's alone time with a computer, if you need a filter on your phone. I mean, there's all kind of different websites can help with that kind of thing. Um, when you're out of town, you know, there's, there's bad locations, actual physical locations, you know, and I'm not going to go through the list, right? We all know what I'm talking about, you know, and, and, and you just have to find a way. Um, if that's an issue, um, find someone you trust and let that person hold you accountable. Because uh, the problem's not just going to go away by itself. Obviously, statistically, I mean, it's just all over the place. In fact, when I've talked to people who, who are um, marriage counselors, they tell me that, yeah, sure enough, that's what they experience about, about half the time they see an issue in the area we just talked about. Okay, Proverbs 11, verse 14 says... Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in abundance of counselors, there is safety. So, again, uh, this is true for everybody. But specifically, we're, we're talking about marriage here. But this is true for anybody. I mean, it's good to have a person or that couple or that... Uh, we don't use the word older. We use the word vintage. You know, that vintage couple that can speak into your life. Uh, and they're willing to tell you the things that you need to hear. Um, I make fun because, uh, like on Wednesdays, we have, uh, the, uh, the group of elderly folks who comes here. And, uh, so I always tell them that, that they're the vintage group. I also tell them, uh, they call themselves the silver seekers. I call them the silver sneakers because there's a lot of mischief in that group. And I also call them my other youth group. But I love sticking my head in there. And I always find that I'm inspired by them. And, uh, just the fact that, they're still fighting the fight and walking the walk with God. And it's just, I think we lose that in our society. You know, we kind of push away the folks that, you know, are my age and over, you know, and it's, it's, we're, we're missing out, y'all. Uh, we need each other. There's a reason why God, you know, when we speaks about church, I mean, he, he, the picture is that it's a church family. We need one another. Proverbs 12, 11 says this. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Now, in context, this is talking about stewardship, right? You know, uh, a guy working his land. But there's still a principle here about about um, about not playing the comparison game, right? About being content with what you have. And again, um, we're talking about about spouses. You know, uh, the idea that that it's unfair. To compare your spouse to anybody else. It's unfair to compare them to a younger model. Right? It's just wrong. It's just, it's just wrong to do that. Um, in fact, guys, if you fall into that, uh, I've got a cure for you. Okay? Rather than compare your spouse to a younger model, do this. Pull out a photograph of just when, around the time you finished high school or a little bit later. Okay? And compare that. To, to what you see in the mirror. Okay? You get what I'm saying? And extra points if you do that standing in your underwear. Okay? I'm telling you. It'll be an eye opener, right? It will give, it'll be the cure for the comparison game. Believe me. 
Okay. Um, I mentioned earlier uh, that Josh McDowell said this a long time ago. He said, don't just marry someone you can live with. Marry someone you can't live without. Now, I remember the moment that I knew that Connie was the one for me. Okay. And um, I don't usually uh, talk about details, you know, but she's not here, but she's watching. So believe me, I'm watching what I say. Okay. But we were, we were friends for a good nine months. We dated for about, um, yeah, for about nine months. We were engaged for three. And then, you know, we've been married ever since then. Guys, from the time we met, I mean, we started fighting almost right off the bat. Okay. So I'm telling you, we fought when we were friends, when we dated, when we started dating in the first, in the first six weeks of six weeks of dating, we broke up four times. Okay. <laughs> After we got engaged, we we're only engaged three months. She broke it off twice. <laughs> All right. You get what I'm saying? Okay. So here we were, but this is the moment. This is when we were, um, uh, we were dating. And um, we were in a canoe and our singles group was canoeing. And so, uh, you know, of course, she and I end up paired up, you know, and, and I'm in the back. She's in the front. And guess what we were doing? We were arguing. OK, we we're arguing about how to canoe. Right. And so I'm trying to get us to turn left, which means you have to paddle on the opposite side. So I'm telling her paddle on the right. And after we'd already been fighting for a while, she says to me, she says, well, uh, uh, how'd she say it? Um, if, if, oh, it wouldn't matter what side I paddle on if you knew what you were doing. All right. <laughs> that wasn't the moment yet, by the way. Okay. That was the moment when I said, you're going in the water. All right. Now the canoe's only eight feet long. I'm telling you between the time that I moved from my spot to where she was, she said, I love you about 12 times. Okay. Neither of us had ever said this to the other yet. And here she was, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Right. And so by the time I got to her and got my hands on her shoulders, I was laughing so hard. Like we were just rocking the boat. Okay. Plus her hands were gripping that canoe. I mean, like a cat. Right. And so I was laughing so hard. And I thought, we're going to end up flipping over. It's just not worth it, right? So I go back. I sit in the back of the canoe. And I thought, oh, my gosh. I don't think I could live the rest of my life without this lady. (laughs) Yeah, I know something's wrong with me. (laughs) And let's face it, she married me. You know there's something wrong with her, too, right? You know? Um but I'm glad to say that in 33 years of marriage, we've only had one fight and it's lasted a long time. <laughs> All right. Our third, our third point today is, uh, is friends. And, uh, and you might ask yourself this question, you know, if so far our message today has been on family, why are we switching to friends all of a sudden? Well, if you give it a little thought, I mean, sometimes you're even closer to your friends than you are to some people in your family, for sure, some of your relatives, right? So your friends are that next closest circle. It's those few people that really know you and that you open the door for them to speak into your life. So let's talk about friends, y'all. Proverbs 13, verse 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. You know what I love about that verse? 
When I see that, I think, I got a chance, you know. If I just hang with wise people, some of it's going to rub off. But that's the idea, y'all. It's common sense. If you spend most of your time with fools, they're going to give you awful advice, and they're going to set a terrible example, right? Don't forget what we said earlier, the very first verse we looked at, right? Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to be wise, you want to have people in your life who fear the Lord, love the Lord, trust the Lord. It will have an impact on you. Proverbs 16-28 says, a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. The most common thing that damages families, friendships, and churches while we're at it is gossip, y'all. What we say about one another can unite us or divide us. I'm happy to say that uh, here in our church family, if you just look at our elder board, and that includes Marcus, I mean, those guys are committed to loving God and loving one another. And what I appreciate about those guys is when they have an issue with one another, they go deal with it eyeball to eyeball. At least that's what they attempt to do. And then if it can't get resolved, then they try to bring one other one in. And then they'll have those hard discussions for the sake of love and unity on the elder board. But also that pervades through the congregation, y'all. They want to lead by example. And that kind of stuff strict, uh, uh, trickles down and has an effect on how our flock is shepherded. But I appreciate that about those guys. Um, I have had a relationship with Trinity Church since about 1994. We didn't, be, Connie and I didn't become a part of Trinity till 1998. But about four or five years prior to that, we already had a relationship with Trinity and we're, and we're watching it from afar. I can confidently say, and I'm not just saying, I don't, I don't do that. I, I, I'm, I'm, if I say it, I mean it. And here's what I'm going to say. I believe with all my heart that Trinity Church is in the healthiest spot uh, that it's ever been. And numerically, we're smaller than we've been in the past. That, you know, there was a time, you know, a point where, where we peaked earlier. And it seems like, uh, in this last year that, that things are starting to move upwards again. But forgetting numbers, I'm talking about health. I'm talking about love for the Lord and love for one another and dealing with things face to face the way God says. I really believe that our church is in a healthier spot than it's ever been. So it's a great time to become a part of what's going on here. Um, But a reminder, there's no room for gossip. What we say about one another will either unite us or it will divide us. Proverbs 17, 17 says this, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. So there's good times and bad times, right? A friend is there when you need him and he's there when you don't. Okay. Uh, it was very evident during the lockdown, right? We took care of one another. When we were all locked down, I mean, there was a pretty quickly we, we formed a, 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 a chart where we could, where we didn't lose anybody and we could all contact one another and make sure if someone needed food or if someone needed, you know, a ride. I mean, we took care of one another. That's what a family should do. 
Proverbs 27, 9, along the same line, says this. It says, oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Remember that. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. Right here, God gives you just a little hint again what kind of friend you want, okay? He talks about earnest counsel. Let me ask you this about your closest friends, okay? Does he or she, when they encourage you, does he or she primarily use information from the Word of God or from social media, right? What kind of advice does your closest friend give you? Let me ask you this. What kind of friend usually, I'm sorry, what kind of advice usually comes out of your mouth? Is it earnest counsel? Is it based on God's Word? Or is it based on the latest rumor? Brings us to our application. Three ideas. Number one, we've been encouraging you to do this since we started the series, is to read one chapter uh, a day from the book of Proverbs. And again, we'll remind you again, there's 31 chapters. And so, like, for example, today is the first. Great day to start. Okay, you start with number one. But if you wait a couple of weeks, you can start with chapter 14 on August 14th and just read one chapter a day. Do you think you'll be wiser 31 days out? If you read the book of Proverbs one chapter a day, that's number one. Number two, ask God for his wisdom on all three topics we talk about today. Y'all ask God for his wisdom on children, spouses and on friends. And he can give that to you. The third thing is this uh, is to spend time with people who will encourage your faith. Spend time with people who fear the Lord. You want to be that kind of person. But you also want to hang out with that kind of person. It makes all the difference. All right, well, let me pray for you. And then we're going to sing one more song. Dear Lord, uh, again, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, that uh, that your your word is so true. And it really can have an impact in our lives day to day. Dear God, I pray. I pray you, you would help us spend time with you. To read your word, Lord, to believe what you say and to follow your ways. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.